Well, I hope you've been enjoying your weekend. Uh, hasn't it been a beautiful, a little chilly, but beautiful weekend so far? And I hope you've got great plans today. Uh, but this morning, uh, we've got great plans to hear from God's Word together. As we continue to track in 1 Corinthians, uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 at this point. Uh, if you've been tracking with us, which I, I believe that most of you have, I don't think there's any first-time guests here uh, this morning, first service. But Paul is uh, taking his time answering some questions that the leaders from the Corinth church have sent ahead or sent back to him in uh, dealing with issues of marriage and remarriage, uh, divorce, and you know, those that are widowed or uh, widowers, and uh, also talking about singleness and uh, celibacy, all in chapter 7. And uh, the questions here really are controversial in their culture there. And there's different slogans that the Corinthian church would have been very well aware of uh, in their culture that they would want to live by, but that it was conflicting what God's Word may have said or what Paul had taught. And, uh, and so uh, it's just an interesting chapter, chapter 7, and it's, we've been tracking through it kind of slow, but we're going to tackle another seven verses today, and really with an overriding principle this morning, talking about contentment, and we'll kind of get there. Uh, But we want to remember that much of the church that is there in Corinth is from a Jewish background. Uh, They they had grown up learning from the rabbis, and now they're going to a Christ-based church, and it's different. And so there's questions in regards to what's right and what's wrong. There were also Gentiles there, and the Greek culture and influence was, uh, was very prevalent. The culture, when you put it all together, is really a mixed bag of type of people. Within the church, there were government officials, military people, no doubt. There were business owners, there were slave owners, and then there were slaves, and we'll talk about that today, within the church. And the question has been, how do they get along? And that's why there was a whole section at the beginning talking about unity and hearing from God and man's wisdom versus God's wisdom and different rules and best practices for the Corinth church to follow. Well, today's seven verses, like I mentioned, are going to all focus on the idea of contentment. And this is not an easy topic to talk about in our culture, where things and the abundance of things are, uh, are rampant everywhere. Uh, just like we were talking about, there's things at our homes that, that kind of overwhelm our garages or, or our sheds or our basements and all those things. And what's interesting about this particular seven verses is that three times Paul says essentially the exact same things in verse 17 in verse 20, and in verse 24. Now, when you read through Scripture and something is said one time, there's some importance with that. We understand that. We need to listen. But three times in seven verses, church, Paul's trying to get across a point that it was difficult to hear in that age, and it's difficult to hear today. It's an important principle. And what we're going to see as we read through this is that Paul's going to state the principle, then give an illustration. The first illustration is of a spiritual or a religious um, illustration. Then he's going to state the principle again, bring another illustration from a secular uh, viewpoint, and then he's going to state the principle a third time. And the goal for us is to not only to look at the principle, look at the illustration, but then to bring practical application for us 
this morning to remember that the primary context that we're talking about in chapter 7 is marriage, remarriage, divorce, singleness, all of those things. And in that culture, they're asking questions like, should I get married as a believer or should I stay married as a believer to a believer, to an unbeliever? Should I get remarried if I've been widowed or if I've been divorced? And we talked about that last week. But the general principle this morning, even though it's in the context of marriage, is it, we're going to talk about that what we're going to, is this contentment idea, and it affects everything that we do. So without further ado, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're going to tackle seven verses starting in verse 17. I'm going to ask that you'd stand to honor God's word. We've been doing that each week, and let's look at these verses, asking God to speak through his word in regards to contentment. Verse 17, it says, Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned him to, or to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I laid down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. And we'll talk about that. That sounds crazy. Like, how is that possible? Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's command is what counts. Each one should remain in the situation in which he was when God called him. We, were you slaves when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is, a, is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who was free man when he was called is now Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation God has called him to. Lord, your word is so rich and so powerful. And God, I pray that we would be able to get our minds around this thought Uh, Lord, to understand the context and the history, but then to bring application to our lives today. And I'm talking application for young people to the oldest that are here. God, this is an issue that we can struggle with uh, for years and years and years. And Lord, I believe that, God, you want to bring us to a place of contentment, to a place to rely on you and you alone. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. We'll start right in verse 17. Let's look at it. It says, Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and which God has called to him. This is the rule I laid down in all the churches. When you look through uh, Paul's writings to the churches, we see a common thread that he would explain this same idea of contentment everywhere that he went. It was shared in all the churches. It wasn't something that just the Corinthian church struggled with. It was in Galatia and in the Ephesus church and, and across the board. And the point here is that wherever you were, when God called you, stay there. God's calling is connected to where God has called you to go. Now, the first calling there is salvation. When God called you, he brought you into his kingdom. But it's connected to where God has called you to serve. And we'll talk about that as we go. 
But the context is marriage. We've talked about that. So when you come to Christ, when you're called to Christ, it's not a license to change your relationship or to change your status. So you put this in modern day terms, you know, you get saved, you come to the altar, you receive Christ, you change on your profile on Facebook from not, you know, unbeliever or non-religious to now I'm a believer, I'm a Christ follower, right? But that doesn't mean you change your relationship if you're married or if you're single, right? It says stay as you are. The general principle is you come to Christ, God has called you it's not a license to change your relationship or your social, uh, to have some social revolution or to change your circumstances. Now, you say, are there any exceptions to that? Well, of course. If there's immorality in your life, you need to separate or you need to you know, be divorced from those types of things. If there's drunkenness or addictions, you need to deal with those things and God will help you in those. In fact, in verse 15, just a, which we talked about last week, if you're married to an unbeliever and that unbeliever leaves, you need to let them do so all for the sake of peace. So there's, a, there's exceptions, of course. But in the Corinth church, apparently, people were seeking to change their status when they became a believer. You say, changing their status, well, they were seeking to be more spiritual, to have a higher calling, that there would be a more spiritual existence in their lives if they were to change their status. And Paul here is seeking to put their spirituality into a different perspective. He says, stay as you are. He says, whatever your social status, your status is of no concern. It's irrelevant. It's all about Christ. So Paul hits them right where it hurts, uh, and, he, and he gets close to home with his first illustration. Let's look at it in verse 18. Verse 18 says this, Was a man already circumcised when he was called? Should he not become uncircumcised? Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? Should he, or he should not be circumcised. And what was very interesting is that the church was full of Jews. And it would have been very difficult for the Jewish crowd to hear that message. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant. All the way back to Genesis chapter 17, Abraham had made a covenant with God. And the covenant was that all the males would be circumcised. They did that. And then every new male on the eighth day, they would be circumcised. And then you fast forward into the New Testament. To be circumcised was a metaphor for being Jewish or Judaism. And then it says here that if you were circumcised, should you become uncircumcised and in, in, in the natural? I'm thinking, you know, I first read that. I'm saying, is that even possible, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, I circumcised my son. My, the doctor let me cut the foreskin. It was, I've got that over my son. I could hold it over him at some point, <laughs> I guess. But I'm thinking, can you, can you reverse that? Well, in the Greek culture there, because of the Greek influence, it's very interesting that there were those who were having a circumcision reversal. In that culture, that day, young Jewish men who became believers were wanting to be uncircumcised because they wanted to walk away from their Jewish roots. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Paul talked about this in Ephesians and in Galatians, but this is very interesting. In Galatians chapter 6, 
Paul, he's addressing uh, verses 11 through 16, although we'll just focus on verse 15. It's a whole section about being circumcised versus not being circumcised. But look at verse 15. It's kind of the the crux I I want you to see. He says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. In regard to that, it's what counts is what Jesus has done in your life. A new creation. And again, it wasn't just an issue just that the Corinth church was dealing with. The point was, if you are Jewish, when you came to Christ, stay Jewish. That's what Paul is trying to say. And he's saying, look, Jesus in the New Testament, he's the fulfillment. He is the Messiah. Don't abandon your Judaism. Look at it as the fulfillment of Christ. All those festivals, all those things, all those rituals, all those things were pointing to Jesus. And Paul's saying, look, just because you accept Christ doesn't mean you change your status. What about those that were on the other side, those non-Jews? Look at verse uh, uh, 18 on the other side. He says, if you were circumcised or not circumcised, don't become circumcised. He says, don't start practicing the feast. Don't try to become a Jew. Don't get circumcised. Don't go and have an operation. He's saying, look, the way you came to Christ, that's the way that you should stay. Let's look at verse 19. He continues the thought. He says, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Same thing he said in Galatians, right? Um, or verse 19, right? Keeping God's commands is what counts. Now, this is huge. This is so important. He's saying, look, salvation, whether you're Greek or Gentile, is not the issue. The point is, is you, as a believer in Christ, need to keep God's commands. It doesn't matter your nationality. It doesn't matter what kind of operation you may or may not have had. The question is, are you committed to Christ? And then he comes back to the same principle, staying as you are. Look at verse 20. Verse 20, each one should remain in the situation which he was in. God called him. The second time he said this, he says, look, stay as you are. And when you talk about God's calling, believers should not seek a change in a marital relationship. This is the primary context. Staying is uh, is a simple part, uh, but there's a more general purpose here, a general principle uh, that affects every aspect of our lives as a Christ follower. The rule here is to stick with the ones where you were your original situation, unless it was immoral. Of course, if it's immoral or if it's dangerous, yeah, you flee that. You get rid of that, but you stay as you are. And then he comes to the second illustration, which is very interesting. He says, were you slaves when you were called? Verse 21, don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. What is this talking about? Well, Slavery, when we think about slavery, we think about it, most of us, at least I do initially, is from a Western European mindset. The, the slave trade where the, in our American history, we went to Africa, went and got, uh, you know, captured, um, you know, Africans, brought them back to America, sold them, and it's a tragic part of our American history. But in the Roman Empire, it was very different. I understand that there were at least 60 million slaves within the Roman Empire. That's crazy. 
And some were mistreated, certainly, but slavery, as a rule, was a way of life that was good. Slaves could even rise into high positions in the society and even in government. I didn't know that, but they could. And there was a slogan in that culture, to be a slave was good for me, or slavery was good for me. That's what a a family would herald. And Paul is saying, look, the purpose of Christianity is not to create some sort of social unrest. See, in the church, there's all these slaves and, uh, within the church and slave owners. And there's this debate saying, okay, can I be a slave and be a Christian? Or should I buy myself out? Can I do this? Or do I stay as I am? And Paul is saying, look, stay as you are. Imagine if Jesus would have came into that culture with 60 million slaves. And if Jesus would have stepped onto the scene and started preaching some kind of social message, that would have been tragic. It would have been disastrous. But what we can see is that the pattern is that the gospel, the good news, Jesus as Savior, is a transforming message. There's spiritual regeneration that comes that ultimately that will change a society. And in the Roman Empire, in People kept on getting saved, and you've, you track for generation after generation. Ultimately, it would change the society in regards to slavery. But Paul is saying, look, don't let it bother you if you're a slave. Don't let it trouble you. Whatever situation you are found yourself in, stay there. If you're a slave, don't let it bother you. Now, the application for us, I believe, there's some takeaways here. This is huge. That in marriage, of course, what, where, whatever marriage you find yourself in, you can serve God right where you are. That's the truth. The place where you work, you say, oh, it's so hard to serve God in this secular uh, dynamic. Listen, the place that you work, you can serve God right where you are. You say, oh, the home that I live in, you know, no one else is a believer. It's so hard. No, no, no. Right where you are, you can serve God. In any situation that you find yourself in, you can serve God. But then there's this caveat Paul puts in there. Look, if you can be free, if you can work to the place, he says, do it. If you can be, you know, purchase your freedom, if you can work out of slavery, do that. But he's saying, look, your circumstances, where you find yourself, it's secondary compared to your service to God. Does that make sense? And too many times in this culture, our culture, the American culture, we think that our circumstances dictate how we can live. And Paul's saying, look, if you're a slave, you are free in Christ. And I love that. In verse 22, it continues that whole idea that not only if you're a slave, you're free in Christ, but he says he brings the reality of that, look, if you become a Christ follower, you are now a servant of Christ. You're a slave to Christ. Look what it says. For he who was a slave when he was called to be the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. He's saying it doesn't matter. Where you were, if you're a slave, you're free. If you weren't a slave, well, listen, you're now a slave to Christ. And so often we think in our situations that whatever, wherever we find ourselves, that it dictates how well we can serve. Well, if we don't like our life, we feel like we can't serve. Well, 
Therefore, we try to change things. We try to manipulate things. We try to, to do things in a, in a different way. But listen, verse 23, it says this, that we're bought with a price. Look what it says. It says, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. In other words, do not get caught up in the world's system, to the world's way of thinking. He's saying, look, the American culture that you live in, in West Michigan here, don't get caught up in it all. Somehow, if I had this or that, I would be happy, people will say. But the problem is, is that our tendency is that we look for happiness or joy or even spiritual development in outward things. If I could get, just get this job, I would be happy. Or if I could just get this position or that, I'd be happy. Or if I could be in this environment, then I could grow in the Lord. Or if I could just get married, then I could grow in the Lord. If I just had a good Christian mate. Or if I was, if I was not married, some may say, say, boy, if I could just get out of this marriage, then I could grow. If my spouse, if my kids, if I could work with a Christian organization, somehow I could find, if I could find a new place, whatever the case might be. And what Paul is saying three times here, look at verse 24, it says the same thing. Brothers and sisters, each man, each woman, as responsible to God, should remain in the situation God has called him to. If it wasn't clear the first time, Or the second time, it should be clear by the third time that you are called to remain in the situation that there's value in staying right where you are. If God calls you to move or to change something, you better know that it's the Lord leading you to do so. But a lot of people, they'll make a move, they'll make a big change in their life, And what happens is they end up blaming God. Sometimes it looks easier just to run from their problems or to leave their problems behind or to dig a hole in the backyard and bury their problems. And what happens is inevitably that the past comes back from the dead, right? You cannot outrun your problems. You need to stay where you are in most cases unless the Lord has directly crystal clear giving you instructions in that way. There's an example in Scripture that was very interesting that kind of emerged this week as I was studying. It was kind of came out of the blue, but I want you to turn with me to the book of Ruth. Many of you may know the story of Ruth and uh, the, the, that she's a kingsman redeemer, that she meets Boaz and uh, the whole story with Naaman and all of this. But what's interesting is the backstory to Ruth. Turn with me to Ruth. If you don't know where it is, it's on page 294. And... Uh, <laughs> No, you go to Judges, Joshua, Judges, then Ruth. Uh, if you get to First and Second Samuel, you've gone too far. But Ruth chapter 1 is very interesting, the beginning of this story of Ruth. And, uh, but I want to actually, once you find Ruth chapter 1, I want you to flip one page back and look at Ju- Judges chapter 21, the very last verse in Judges, okay? So everyone tracking with me? So we're going to start in Judges because it says in verse 25, it says, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Now that statement right there 
is a, is a catalyst into what's happening when we get to verse 1 of Ruth. It was disturbing days. It was the, you know, the days of the judges had passed. No one was king. There was anarchy. No one was leading. And that's where we find ourselves in Ruth chapter 1. Look at verse 1. It says, In those days when the judges ruled, there was no king, right? Then it says, There was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and his two sons, they went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Everyone's saying, okay, what's the big deal? Well, we're going to explain that in just a minute. Let me just read a few more verses. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of their sons were Mahalan and Kilion. They were uh, from Bethlehem, from Judah. And they went to Moab and they, Moab, and they lived there. Verse 3, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, not Oprah, and the other, Ruth. After they had lived there for about 10 years, both Mahalan and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and without her husband. You say, what's happening here? Well, first of all, the word Elimelech, is to be called God is King. Naomi, her name means pleasant. So God is King and pleasant. They make a decision on natural understanding. It says in verse 1 there that there was a famine in the land, in Bethlehem. Which, by the way, Bethlehem means house of bread. So they're living in the house of bread. The God, God is King and pleasant. They make a decision They're saying to themselves, if they could just change their situation, if they could get out of Bethlehem and go to Moab, they would be okay. You tracking with me? So they're saying, okay, God is king. He leaves. There's a famine. So Elimelech goes to Naomi and says, look, there are no provisions here. But in Moab, which, by the way, is a pagan culture, he's saying there is provision there. Instead of saying, God, is there a problem here, or how can we get through this, or Lord, help us, they don't put their trust in God, or put their trust in the Psalms that say that God will never leave them or forsake them, uh, and uh, that there will always be provision. Essentially, they're saying, look, I'm not happy, or fulfilled, or content here in Bethlehem, so we are going to go over here. Stepping out of God's hand into a pagan culture, stepping away from the favor of God, from the protection of God. You say, how do I know that? Well, look at verse 3. It says, Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. So right away, it was costly for Elimelech. It cost him his life. Now you can argue, okay, he may have died in Bethlehem. We don't know. But certainly this happened. Naomi is left with two sons, they marry Moabite women, which are pagan women that don't, that don't follow their gods. And then, a little later, it says, after they lived there for about 10 years, both of the sons died as well. Naomi is left with two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. And if you continue to read, Orpah ends up leaving uh, Naomi. And so now it's just Ruth and Naomi. And Naomi, when it gets to uh, verse 19... They decide to go back to Bethlehem. They say, okay, it's got to be better back where I came from. It says, so the two women, that's Naomi and Ruth, 
They went until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? They were excited to have Naomi back. But listen to what Naomi says. It says, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune among me. Tragic story. And Naomi's saying, look, don't even call me by my name. I'm so bitter. I got so much resentment. The point is, look, church, you cannot provide for yourself. In a moment of unfulfillment or discontentment in your life or in a moment of lack of joy, are you going to run like Elimelech and Naomi did? Or are you going to say, God, is there something here that you would like to teach me? Because church, if you try to outrun your problems, try to get a different job, a different place, a different wife, listen, and God is not your source and you don't lean in to the Holy Spirit and to His provision and to His help, you will never outrun your problems. If you look anywhere else other than God, you will be unfulfilled. You can guarantee it. Now let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You tracking with me? Everyone with me? It says, Brothers, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation God called him to. If you're looking for things to supply your need other than God, you will come up empty every time. Paul's argument here is God's calling comes in a variety of settings. You could be Jew, you could be Gentile, you could be slave, you could be free. The setting is not important. The status is not important. Don't seek to change it. Don't look to change your situation. Instead, lean into God. Look at Philippians chapter 4. We're going to uh, wrap up with this verse. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, really talk about, uh, or through 13, I'm sorry. It says, uh, it says, for I have learned, and I've got that underlined in my Bible. I'd encourage you that, they, that he has learned to be content whatever the circumstances. What to do, you learn. Look at what it says. It continues. Verse 12. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned, there's that word again, the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living or in plenty or in want. In other words, our flesh rejects this, doesn't it? We say, oh, we're in this relationship and, uh, and I'm not content. But what Paul's saying, look, is be content right where you are. With the current salary that you are, are receiving, to be content there. In any situation, you put, you put your story in there, is to be content. You say, well, what's the secret? How could you do that? The secret is found. Don't you wish you could figure it out? It's found in verse 13. Listen, he says, I can do everything through him, through Jesus, who gives me strength. The secret church 
is found in Christ. Not in Christ plus a good job. Not in Christ plus a new wife. Not in Christ plus a new situation, a new house, a new boat, a new car. Just Christ in Christ alone. And Philippians here screams it aloud. I've learned to be content. And it's in Jesus Christ. Now back to Ruth here just for a moment. For Elimelech, listen, for them, there might be bread in Moab. And in your case, there may be, the grass may look greener on the other side of the fence. But if Christ is not there, it will lead to disaster. Church, we are called as believers to be content right in the situation where we found ourselves. And it's hard to do that. Mary, I'm going to ask that you come. I want to just spend some time considering how are we doing in regards to contentment. One commentator wrote this, a Christian does not have to seek the right situation in order to enjoy Christian freedom or to serve God effectively. I want us to read that again. A Christ follower, that's you, many of you, does not have to seek the right situation in order to enjoy Christian freedom or to serve God effectively. The point here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is to stay where you are, to be content, and to allow God for you to bloom, if I could say it like this, to bloom where you are planted. And again, I know that's not easy. In our culture, we get so agitated, we get so worked up, um, we try to figure things out, we look for angles, how to get ahead. And God is saying, look, forget all that and just love me. Just press in to me because in Christ is the fullness that you desire, that you need. It's in Christ, in Christ alone. I ran across a poem and I want to read this and then I want us to pray. It's by a guy named Jason Lehman. It's called Present Tense. And listen, this really captures tragically what happens in a lot of people's lives and even in believers' lives. Listen to what it says. It says, It was spring. You can read along with me. But it was summer that I wanted, the warm days and the great outdoors. And let's just pause there for a second. Isn't that where we all are? I mean, pretty much. Okay. So it was spring, but it was summer I wanted, the warm days, the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall that I wanted, the colorful leaves, the cool, dry air. It was autumn, but it was winter that I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. I was a child, but it was adulthood that I wanted, the freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 that I wanted to be mature, to be sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 30 I wanted, right? 
the youth, the free spirit, I was retired, but it was middle age that I wanted. The presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, but I never got what I wanted. It's an interesting poem. Not necessarily from a Christian perspective. I'm not, I'm not sure, Jason Lehman. But boy, it speaks to this whole idea of being content right where we are. If I can just be honest with you, I struggle with this one sometimes. There are certain seasons that I get worked up and I, I, my mind gets fixated on something that I want or I feel like I need and I can get obsessed with the best of them. But I always am humbled when I really step back and say, you know what, I don't need a new bike or I don't need a new car or I don't need a new house or I don't need a new relationship or I don't need anything except Jesus. And when I can embrace that thought and lean into Jesus, the things of this world become strangely dim, right? Things turn away. Things don't mean, they're not meaningful. There's nothing on this earth that we're going to take with us. And I believe God is calling us this morning to be content, to stop the rat race, to get off the wheel and say, okay, God, all I need that you bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to talk about this just for a second. I'm interested to know if there's anyone here that with me struggles in this area with contentment or feeling unfulfilled or desiring a change of situation at times. And I want to just kind of make it broad, but then specific. You could be very much so from just like I am, at times you can get caught up with being discontent but God wants you to realize that it's all about him and from a general standpoint maybe you're not struggling today but you're saying okay I can struggle in this area would you just be honest and lift your hand and just say boy that, that can happen in my life sure yeah now I want to bring it a little more specific and say okay today there may be people here right now that are struggling with this idea of contentment. It could be contentment in relationships. It can be contentment financially. It could be contentment in, with just stuff. If you're dealing with a discontented heart or an unfulfilled spirit, would you just be bold enough just to raise your hand and we want to pray with you?
This morning, if you are here and you don't know Jesus, or you're far away from Jesus, maybe one time you served him, but this morning you're realizing that your life is spinning out of control, you're, you're on the wrong path, and you need to get your life right with Jesus, we want to give you that opportunity right here, right now, to find yourself back at the feet of Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, if you're not confident that if you were to die today that you would make it to heaven, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? And I want to pray with you as well. Is there anyone at all just saying that's where I am today? Just keep it up so I can see it. If there's anybody here. pray a closing prayer and then we're going to spend just some time at the altar with the Lord as the Lord leads you to come or maybe just to be where you are I'm going to encourage you that you just don't run off but to really sit and to contemplate say God how am I doing today in this area of contentment and it could be in a variety of ways but God knows specifically your circumstance and what he wants is for you to surrender no matter where you are. So let's just lift our hands here for a moment all across this place and let's just declare, God, you're in control. Lord, have your way in our lives, God. Draw us close to you, God. Like the song said earlier, God, that there's no place I'd rather be. Lord, you're the only thing that really matters. God, I pray that you would just minister to each and every heart here. God, that we would press in to all that you have that nothing else would matter. But God, that we would learn to be content whether we have lots of food or little food. If we have lots of stuff or little stuff, that we would look to Philippians 4 and that the encouragement there, that it's all rooted, that contentment like Paul had is rooted in a relationship with you, Jesus. God, help us to embrace that. Lord, go before us, behind us, and around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This is a place of worship, a place of prayer.